you know, I'm not just selling sandwiches to sell sandwiches. We're selling sandwiches because it matters to the people who are making them. What I love about the business of a social enterprise is that it is driven by heart. It's driven by actual change in someone's life. I'm Catherine Lawson, and this is The Longleaf Pod, where I talk to people who are adding value to communities across North Carolina. This episode, I'm talking with Lindsay Blankenhorn, executive director of the nonprofit social enterprise restaurant Carol's Kitchen in downtown Raleigh. Carol's Kitchen employs women leaving crisis, and I think you'll like hearing about the work being done and how Lindsay has drawn on her own experiences and beliefs to care for her community. Enjoy the show. All right, Lindsay, thanks so much for being here with me today and talking about your work with Carol's Kitchen and your journey into nonprofit and executive management. Oh man, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and that you're doing this. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about today. So am I. Um, and not just because like I actually know you, but this is just <laughs> going to be such a great opportunity for yeah. other people to get to know you and for everyone, myself included, to learn more about your background, which is going to be great. Um, so yeah. first, tell me about Carol's Kitchen. Yeah, so Carol's Kitchen is uh, Raleigh's first social enterprise nonprofit kitchen. We exist to provide healthy employment for women coming out of crisis. We are about, let's see, we're just over two years old. We were two years old in September of 2018. We're a startup in every sense of the way. Um, we are really trying to get our hands on women who are coming out of some sort of crisis like uh, homelessness, incarceration, domestic violence, teen pregnancy. Uh, just kind of the, the hard that life throws at you. Um, also, just like systemic poverty, which we don't really think of as crisis, but we find lots of women that have been in systemic poverty are facing a lot of kind of daily crisis. So that's sort of who we work with. And how long have you been with Carol's Kitchen? I joined in July of 2017. So a year and a quarter now, I guess. Yeah, about a year and a quarter. They So I came on about nine months after we opened to the public. And um, I've sort of taken us into the next phase. And in that time, we've opened uh, our second location, which is really sort of bananas. I don't know how much you know about restaurants, but to open a second location, which is sort of like a franchise of a restaurant in two years has been uh, chaos. Like the only thing I can call it is <laughs> chaos, but a beautiful opportunity um, to expand how we work, excuse me, work with and um, kind of how we're influencing our neighborhood. Mm, that's awesome. And so how did you kind of get involved in, in Carol's Kitchen? I really love that question. It's, it's fun to be the person that tells the story about myself because I used to work for a foundation uh, here in town. It was Mission Increase at the time. It's now Mission Triangle. And we trained nonprofits on best business practices. So things like board governance, marketing and communications, um, fundraising, strategic planning, things like that. Um, what we found at, at Mission Increase uh, was that these nonprofit leaders had tremendous heart. They had uh, incredible tenacity, but many of them lacked the business skills and education in some in some instances that they needed to really advance themselves in the business world, which is where we felt like the best position for nonprofits was um, in, in sort of the marketplace to bring them up to a standard, a corporate standard, really. And, and while I was there, I started randomly enough as a, a part-time temporary administrative assistant, um, just kind of a fluke. I was volunteering at a bunch of places in downtown Raleigh and uh, was looking for something a little bit more stable because my I had an interior design business at the time and it was ending. And um, I ran to a friend. She said, do you want to do this job? And I thought, well, you know, sure. 
we'll kind of figure out what that looks like. And um, I just fell in love with a helping people. I loved hearing people's issues and finding up finding solutions for them. And the nonprofit side of it was so beautiful because it was all these people that just loved whatever constituency they were working with. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that is that we worked with a large population of um, high capacity givers, donors. We were watching the 1% give away tremendous money to nonprofits worthy of the money doing amazing things with it. So it was like the best of both worlds. I was watching uh, tremendous amounts of money being given away and then watching the nonprofits do extremely meaningful things with it. Mm. And it was just, it was a, it was a really beautiful place to sit and watch really good things happen. And I was this, so I progressed into their director of operations position. Uh, it's what I was when I ended up not being there anymore. And um, I had felt for some time this desire to grow. I, I was really ready for kind of my next career stage. Mission Triangle folks, they grew me into a great place. I have a background in business um, and marketing. And so I, I did really well there, but I just was ready for something new and different and, and more hands-on, really. Mm-hmm. I started to really think about how I could get proximate to some of the issues going on in my neighborhood. And boy, did I ever get that with this job. (laughs) (laughs) It has been a lot of hands-on work. Um, But the founders of Carol's Kitchen, I actually trained when they were dreaming up uh, the inception of Carol's Kitchen. So they came to us with their business plan and basically said, how should we do this? How do we form a board? How do we come up with a development philosophy? What do we need to do to kind of get this thing going? And um, something that really intrigued me about Carol's Kitchen that stood out differently than all of the other nonprofits that I was working with at the time is that they had a revenue stream. They had a way to earn income, which was through the restaurant. And the primary issue facing nonprofits or the primary felt issue facing nonprofits is funding. And so the idea that Carol's Kitchen had a way to earn even supplemental income to uh, support the nonprofit felt like the right business move. We were talking to to camps and to organizations that help folks come out of um, addiction like Trosa and saying, how do we teach more nonprofits to do this? How do we teach them to have uh, something that they can sell? So I was just really intrigued by the whole situation. And I ended up joining in July of 2017. So in your day-to-day, so before you've had, you know, you have this whole experience being on kind of the training management side of things, and you get thrown into the executive director of this startup nonprofit. (laughs) So what does your day-to-day kind of, what does your average day look like? (laughs) It's an interesting question. Um, My day-to-day has really changed so much in the year that I've been with Carol's Kitchen. When I came on, Sort of the idea that was given to me was from the founder in a startup stage. So he uh, had been the executive director and um, pretty much said, like, you know, you'll be doing meetings with donors and community engagement. Uh, You'll be, you know, handling high level operations, but you may not be in the restaurant Mm -hmm. every day. Uh, sort of things. And so coming into the restaurant, what I found was that I really needed to to know the underbelly of Carol's Kitchen. And so I spent about six months really understanding the way we ran the business of Carol's Kitchen, how we were getting the women who were coming out of crisis, how we had processes and procedures set up or not set up in the kitchen, um, and understanding the roles and responsibilities of the leadership that was already in place. Um, and so I did a lot of just sort of investigative listening mm-hmm. and uh, planning. How can we how can we do this well? What do I 
know about the way people should communicate and function uh, to be really high functioning. So the first six months was a lot of, tell me how you've been doing this. Tell me why you did it that way. And, and a part of my posture with that came from me having not run a restaurant before. <laughs> I think in my mind, I had been around so many nonprofits that I sort of knew what the underbelly of a nonprofit looked like. But what I didn't understand is what the social enterprise sort of looked like because the vehicle for our mission is this restaurant. And so I had to understand how that vehicle ran. Mm. So early on, it looked a lot like, why do you function this way as a general manager? How do you function this way as a chef? What are our hours? Why are they that way? Why did, why were decisions made this way? You know, just a lot of, we're at the very beginning of this thing. You know, we're not in the first month anymore, but we are still really trying to understand ourselves in the market. Um, and I wanted to understand those things very well so that I could position us moving forward into this next phase. Mm. And so then the next sort of six months, looked like planning to open a second restaurant. I don't really compartmentalize this much in my life, but it really has felt like that. It has felt very much like, okay, now let's onboard and learn. And then from basically January to June, we began to plan out a new space over in Morgan Street Food Hall, uh, which is North Carolina's first food hall experience. If you've ever been to Atlanta or Seattle, Chicago, we've got some really cool food halls in the U.S. to kind of shape that for us. And so uh, we began to try and figure out um, what it would look like to operate in a 200 square foot space, <laughs> which is uh, 10 feet wide and uh, 20 feet deep. And so what all could we do in this space and use it to the best of our ability? But what we knew Morgan Street Food Hall would do for us is give us exposure. And if we are out to help women coming out of crisis stabilize themselves with healthy employment, we knew that another restaurant meant more jobs. And so that's uh, our strategic uh, decision with that. Was That's why we did that. And so now sort of my everyday life looks like running these two restaurants and developing community partnerships. Um, the way we the way we currently get our women is through st strategic partnerships here in the area from shelters and post-incarceration homes and programs. Uh, it also looks like knowing other nonprofit leaders very well and being closely in touch with givers and donors and what matters in reshaping the canvas of uh, impoverished people in downtown Raleigh. My day-to-day -day is often with donors. It's often with um, the leaders of other nonprofits saying, how do we continue to help these people and do a better job collaborating? Uh, one of the things that I learned at Mission Triangle was that, you know, do what you're good at, but don't do what you don't know how to do. Mm. And so what I feel really committed to at Carol's Kitchen is what we know we exist to do is offer healthy employment for women. And I want the folks that are better at housing and counseling and social work to be doing their jobs. And so I want to be closely partnered with them. How do their values align with ours? How do I make sure that I give them people that they can uh, work with and, and vice versa? You know, what are we, what kind of person are we equipped to handle in a fast paced, high capacity kitchen? Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of community development. You know, it, it regularly looks like handling a mini crisis. You know, we, we sometimes have women who dip back into crisis because they're coming from chaotic circumstances. You know, I, mm. I think that we forget as people who live at a high, highly educated and high functioning life, that crisis is just around the corner from someone who's just out of crisis. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes it's lurking from the corner you're coming from, and sometimes it's waiting for you on the corner you're headed to. And so we try really hard to say, you know, you need to be stable enough. You need to have a housing solution when you get to us because statistics show that folks who um, 
don't have good housing often are not stable enough to hold a job. And that has a lot to do with schedules and timekeeping and responsibility. Mm -hmm. But it also looks like how do you manage a new crisis when you're in a new place? So if you have stabilized yourself with a job and maybe housing, how do you come out of the next crisis without spiraling out of control like you may have in the past? Because that was your only circumstance. We work really hard at Carol's Kitchen to offer our, our network to folks. I think one of the things that Carol's Kitchen exists for is to say, these are the relationships that we have forged in our community, and they are now yours uh, to the people who work for us. That expansion of community is what builds people. You know, relationships are what builds people. And so uh, we think that if you have a wealth of relationships, then, then you really could come out of just almost anything. I love that perspective on kind of making sure that people, it's really about making sure that people have a community, right? That's right. To have like a full network of support and not just support, but people who care about them who are in their corner, who can bring different specialties and different resources to bear. That's right. Kind of whatever is facing people. That's right. So we, um, we have a circumstance right now with, with one of the women in our program. She's been with us since Valentine's Day, and she was referred to us by the Helen Wright Center, which is a local women's shelter. And she had been living at the shelter for 11 months when she got to us. That's a really long time to be in a shelter. Typically in the shelter, if you've been in the shelter that long, you're experiencing obviously poverty. You don't have any money, but you may not have a job. Um, you may have not had a steady job for quite some time, which makes getting the next job really challenging. Mm. But you may also have, you have a higher uh, likelihood of having mental illness. We see folks in and out of shelters that can't keep their lives together, not because they don't make smart choices or they haven't used their tools well, because there's a mental illness in their way. This particular gal came to us needing housing. She basically said, I really need housing. And I heard that you guys have housing. Because right now we have a, a home that we rent and have a few of our women in. and um, one of our policies is you can't live with us unless you work with us. And that's just because we don't have someone in a full-time position to manage that home. Mm. And so we knew that we needed to have uh, some accountability with who we had and, and their sort of track record with life. But then we learned she didn't have a job. And so we realized that, huh, well, this might, this might could work. And what has she done before? And she had been a dishwasher for like four years in another location. So we began this relationship with her in, in tr truly a transparent fashion, she basically said, I struggle with mental illness. I'm bipolar. I'm on mood medication and stabilizers. I've, I've come from some hard stuff, but I really want to be stable. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to do whatever I can to be stable. And so she's been with us now for, what is that, like almost eight months. Mm -hmm. um, and when she's on, she's on. You know, she's with us and she's, she's a hard worker and she's, she's fun to be with. And one of the things we talk about at Carol's Kitchen all the time is our culture. You know, there's two things that we hold primary as our kind of our, they must be this way. And uh, one of those is the culture we have in our kitchen, which is positive, respectful, trustworthy, that kind of thing. And then our product, our food always has to be good. You know, every time you get a sandwich, it needs to be a, a tasty, delicious sandwich. Mm -hmm. So Liz has always fit into that. And something that's a little, been a little strange is she's had some difficult times outside of work with her relationships. Her relationships outside of work have not been healthy, which have meant that her relationships at work have struggled. Mm. And we, we've gotten to a place with her that have said, like, you're not using all the tools we've given you. We've, we've turned over our resources to you. We've told you about our community resources that you can go get. There are more ways that you can be helping yourself. And it had kind of gotten to a place where we were like, this might be it. You know, we may not be able to help Liz anymore. And um, what was amazing is that we kind of got ready for this final conversation. And she came back and said, I've, you know, I've messed up. I really want to get this right. And I, I know that I can do better will you work with me? Will you teach me how to do this better? And we found ourselves going, 
ah, yes, like you need more because the reality is that her housing situation and her job situation are both in Carol's Kitchen's wheelhouse right now. Mm. And so we're finding ourselves going, how do we really help extend her network? Because Carol's Kitchen can't save Liz. Mm -hmm. You know, Liz has to save Liz. We have to extend this network out so that she has more resources and more relationships that she can lean on. I love that perspective. People exist in relationship with one another. Like none of us actually get to walk through the world pretending that we are solitary creatures. Exactly. And I think that, you know, having a nonprofit that one recognizes its limitations, recognizes what it is and isn't there to do, but builds out for all the rest of it to try and create that holistic environment is something that's really unique in addition to you know, the revenue generating model and the social entrepreneurship side of it as well. That's right. That's right. At the same time, I feel like that that could pose some unique challenges, right? As the executive director, as the person who is looking both to the well-being of women in the program and to the ongoing strength and health of the organization and the fact that you have a kitchen to run, <laughs> you have product to deliver and to make. So what has that kind of growth experience been like? You're not just working with professionals, you're working with the people you're serving at the same time that you are creating products for the rest of you know, the Raleigh community? Oh man, it's the right question. I feel like the gifts of our, of our position, being able to work with women coming out of crisis is really a privilege because sometimes they're at their most vulnerable. They've just come out of the hardest thing they've ever been through. That also means you're hiring someone who's coming out of the hardest thing they've ever been through. And they have a lot of obstacles to face as they sort of stabilize themselves, which in turn means that their employer has a lot of obstacles to getting the product made. Um, we face, um, the same challenges that any other for-profit or restaurant would, would have in hiring folks coming out of crisis. Um, we just talk about the hard things. And sometimes that's better. Uh, I, actually, I think it's always better. But knowing more things does not make it always easier to move through them. Um, and I, what we see with our women a lot is that they have relationships with the justice system that are challenging. They have meetings with their um, their POs and they have fines they need to pay and they don't have transportation and they may not have custody of their children and they've got bad credit. And there are just a uh, wide ranging pool of challenges that they face, which, you know, in the the world we live in, especially here in the U.S., we say kind of leave your personal life at home and come to work and do your work. And, and in some circumstances, we're able to do that and that works. In other circumstances, it really doesn't. And you have to kind of unpack those things for them because they've never unpacked anything they've carried with them for so long. And what we mean by healthy environment at Carol's Kitchen is that we might provide a place for them to heal and grow while they work which is, you know, very much a seven dwarfs mindset, whistle why work and move through it. I think we look at their circumstances as they come in, we do kind of an intake and say, where are you? Where have you been? What are the challenges you face? And what do you, after being with us for about a year, what do you want to have accomplished? But we deal with a lot of folks who have daytime appointments, which is right when they're supposed to be at work. And those are not court mandated appointments. We can't change those things, which mm-hmm. means that if they don't come in and it's not there on their day off, we have to figure out staffing for that, you know, while prepping food for two locations, two restaurants, um, that lunch is our busiest time of day. <laughs> I mean, it's the middle of the day. So <laughs> it's tough, you know, but we want to be the kind of organization that exists 
to provide that for somebody and the flexibility that they're not going to lose their job if they have to go do that. We have faced some challenges in our, our two young years of trying to figure out what kind of woman we're equipped to bring in. So early on, we just didn't know. We didn't know if we could shape anyone or if it was going to take somebody specific. But what we have determined, even just for now, I think it'll be an ongoing policy, but we only take women coming from another partnership, community partnership. So they have someone else in the community that they're already partnered with so that we are not their only means of crisis intervention. Because we run a restaurant and produce a product, food, we have to deliver on those whether our people show up for work or not. So we can't have folks that might be in the middle of some serious crisis and we don't know if we can rely on them. It's, we're just not equipped for that. We also have put in place sort of a mental evaluation, mental stability evaluation through some partners of ours to say, how equipped are you to handle the equipment in the kitchen? We, you know, we are a kitchen. We have mm. knives and uh, challenging meat slicers, things that that could be tools for folks who are not well. Mm. And so we want we want to offer a healthy place for those who are able, but we know that it's not everyone. We had a circumstance last fall uh, where my general manager and I were both threatened by a woman holding a knife. And we had this moment where we were like, huh, well, that can't happen again. That's not good. And so we're, we're looking at how do we protect ourselves and protect our model, you know, our, our model. Um, and sometimes that looks like saying, you know, you're not quite the right fit for us. We're not equipped to, to take anyone coming out of every situation. So those are some of our challenges. The other programmatic challenge I think we face is as this social enterprise here in Raleigh, uh, we are a restaurant out front and we are nonprofit kind of in the back. I, I tell folks that I'm speaking with all the time, we're like Wake County's best mullet. We are all business in the front and all, <laughs> all heart in the back. And that, that makes it really so dynamic. You know, I'm able to talk to folks who like great food only and then convince them that it's for a good cause. And I'm also able to talk to folks who care about a good cause and then want to eat good food. So it's this beautiful binary thing that I get to work with. But it does make fundraising a little bit challenging. It's challenging to do fundraising mm -hmm. when they know you have you earn income. You know, they know that they're paying $11 for a sandwich inside. And they're going, well, I, you know, I bought, a, I bought lunch there. What do you need from me? And in some ways, they're right. I, I think we are trying to find out who is the right donor for Carol's Kitchen. Who are the folks that want to change the fabric of the community through gifts? And then the cool news is that those who want to buy sandwiches get to change the fabric of Raleigh's culture also. There are not many places that get to influence it on both levels with such ease. Having those conversations that are long enough and not just a quick click on social media where they go, well, I can just buy food there. Telling our, our story about how people can get involved and help us and what that really means to the nine women who are in our program is, is something we're really working on. I loved hearing all about that. I want to switch gears a little bit more now and talk about some more about, about you. So you mentioned that you had a background in kind of business and marketing. So did you know that you were going to end up kind of in this nonprofit space, either at Carol's Kitchen or at your prior job? Oh, do we ever know where we're really going to end up, Catherine? I, I, just, <laughs> I just don't know. I, um, Such a fair point. It's interesting. I, uh, I'm a Christian and I, I really have watched um, what I would call God do, do some things in my life that I would have been, you know, you told me this 10 years ago and I've been like, yeah, right. <laughs> but no, I, I actually never, even five years ago. I would have never guessed that I would be where I am right now. I actually grew up in a small town in North Carolina uh, where I was already always sort of a big fish, never quite in the, the popular crowd I wanted to be in, but I was kind of a fringe person. 
I knew that I, I knew that I wanted to do something meaningful with my life. I just had no idea what that was. Uh, my family's in the uh, high-end furniture business. And so I went to Meredith and wanted to be an interior designer. And, and my dad graciously said, you can study anything you want, but I'm not paying for you to have that degree. You need to, you need to study business. And so um, I ended up with a minor in interior design, um, a degree in business marketing. And I, I started out, it's not to be all emotional on it, but I, I got married right out of college to someone who I was, I was not well partnered with. We had a business together and he did a small project construction and I did all the interior design. It was pretty successful. We were doing really well. And, um, about three years into uh, that marriage, I found out some really, uh, sad and hard things about the person I was married to. And it turned out our home was only in his name. My, our business was only in his name and he Mm. was having an affair Mm. and, um, I found myself just kind of, I felt like I'd been uh, kicked in the gut, you know, just, just wait, what, what is this life? Yeah. I'm, I don't even, I don't even know where I am. I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not whose I thought I was. And I can't function in the capacity of work that I was functioning in without seeing this person who loves someone else. I mean, it was just at 26, I found myself just like, what is happening in my world? And so, like I said earlier, mm. I was, doing a lot of volunteering and really trying to connect my heart to something that made me feel better, to be frank. I wanted to remind myself that my lowest place was not the lowest place ever. Started doing some volunteering and realized that there was a bigger world out there and that, yes, what I was going through was challenging, but I had plenty of food to eat and my family loved me. I had tremendous community and that, um, you know, if I was able to get mentally and emotionally stable through counseling or some sort of exterior help, that I was going to be okay. You know, that's when I began mm-hmm. to work at Mission Triangle. And, and really, they provided a place for me to heal functionally. Really, I mean, it was, I needed work. I needed to be gainfully employed. But they were a place that what I was doing as I started, like I said, as an administrative position, I was much more qualified than that. But it was a place for me to start. Um, and so in some ways, I really had to build mm-hmm. my life back up. I, I told one of our women not too long ago that I know what crisis feels like. I know what it feels like to wake up and go, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay for things? How am I going to put gas in the car? And um, I mean, no joke, during my divorce, I sold rocks out of our yard. I mean, this is, I, people bought the craziest things on Craigslist, like you wouldn't have imagined. <laughs> and I paid bills with that. And so I, I know what it feels like to kind of come up out mm. a little bit. Now, I don't know poverty like these women know. And I don't pretend to know their story, but I know that I found myself in a circumstance that I didn't, I never anticipated. I never thought I would be in. And, and God's done something with that. I have a tender, soft spot for someone who goes, what do I do now? What's my next step? And so I also know what it feels like to put the next step forward without knowing what the third step looks like. And I think Carol's Kitchen exists for people who need that. And it, it has been a beautiful, uh, um, I think I'm learning a lot about what it looks like to live in the space between expectation and reality and helping women see that it isn't the end of the world when your expectations aren't realized and being, (laughs) being the executive director or CEO of Carol's kitchen has humbled me knowing that I have, I have some people that I can influence. And one of the things that has been so important to me is that they feel worthy of being where they are. You know, it's okay to to have gone through crisis. You can't really you can't really stop all the bad things from happening. You know, you just you live through life and you realize like some of us come out a little less burned than others, but um, it, we're we're worthy of fixing and working on uh, ourselves. And I I love reminding the women that you have to 
you have to choose well and you have to ask God to help. And sometimes you just can't, you can't button all of that up. And so being in the position that I'm in with Carol's Kitchen has, uh, it's just, it, it's been really humbling and it's grown me a lot. And I love, I love the work that I'm doing. I've, we have had as many as 14 of us total. When I started, there were eight. And so mm-hmm. it's a lot of people. Um, it's a lot of different kinds of relationships. I understand a little bit more about why people say it's lonely at the top. You know, I really have felt sometimes like, who's my buddy? You know, like, who do I get Hmm. to like chat through these hard things with at work? And everybody that I work with has either been through something hard or is going through hard things. And so learning who my peers are that I can lean on and say, you know, today was super heavy. Figuring out how to balance some of these really hard emotional things with the goodness that it is to run a social enterprise with women coming out of crisis. It, it's just a beautiful mess. I, I don't know else how else to say that. I didn't think I would be doing this. I'm honored to be doing it. I, I hope to continue to be listening for the next right step and to step into it appropriately. So when it gets really hard, you know, in, in the job, I mean, obviously your personal experiences and the way that you've handled them have developed a tremendous amount of resilience for you personally, but what does that look like in the, in a professional context? It's, I don't think mm-hmm. that's, I don't think everybody is equally adept at translating kind of their mm-hmm. personal emotional resilience into professional obligations. It's kind of new space. And similarly, mm-hmm. when things are hard at work and you have to bring it home at some level, it follows you. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of day to day, what, how do you cope with mm-hmm. that? What does that look like? It's funny. So my, my husband now, my, my, <laughs> I have a new life. I, I remarried about four years ago and we have a daughter and my husband is a director at another local nonprofit. And um, I joke that sometimes we like sit down at eight o'clock on the sofa and we're like, what are we doing again? <laughs> how, how does, how do we, how do we process these things, these hard and heavy real life facts? You know, we, mm-hmm. some days that looks like helping someone with a four day old figure out where she's going to get a crib. Some days that looks like we need to sell more sandwiches. You know, it's just this Mm. very, very uh, broad range of what sort of things tax you on a regular basis. Um, And so the question is such a good one. I I appreciate your um, intuitiveness in in knowing that. I I think that for me, it looks like reminding myself that I'm not in control. (laughs) I I might be, quote unquote, the boss, but... um, I'm not in control of all of the things. What I can do is look at all of the things in front of us for the day and, and figure out what to tackle first and hardest, the, the hardest things that are there. For me, it looks like mental health. I'm in counseling and continue to find value in processing with someone who's not attached to my daily life. Mm. It's just an ongoing practice for me that helps me realize that I'm normal. And so counseling is a big part of that. Um, a, a really great partnership has been helpful. Uh, my husband is great about saying, uh, you know, it's, it's time to turn off. It's time to put put it away for today. You know, balance is really hard. They, you know, talk about balance and I don't know if, you know, they say there is no real work-life balance. It's all one thing. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's really true about all that stuff. What I know is when my system feels taxed, that must mean that things in my system are taxed. You know, so hmm. what is it that's happening around me? There must be other things going on and what, what needs the most attention. I meditate. Uh, I really ask for guidance and there's something outside of myself that helps me find the answers to dig deep, to figure out where we can simultaneously find cribs for three day b- old babies and 
how to drive business because that's what employs women. Mm-hmm. Those two things, you know, they're on the, they're on the same scale somehow uh, on the social sector. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I love about the social enterprise model. You know, I'm not just selling sandwiches to sell sandwiches. We're selling sandwiches because it matters to the people who are making them. And if it matters to the people who are making them, there's a whole population of people who should be making sandwiches. Hmm. And I, I think that seeing this bigger picture is this huge driving force for me. What I love about the business of a social enterprise is that it is driven by heart. It's driven by actual change in someone's life. The other, the, the last thing I'll add to that in terms of ways to find balance is that um, it is so tempting to think like you can fix people and their circumstances. And the reality is that we get to contribute to the whole fabric. And so mm-hmm. there are days where I walk away from interactions so encouraged and just go, oh my gosh, they're getting it. They're making change. This is, this is going to be another win for her, you know, or whatever that is. And then I'm reminded three weeks later that they took one step, but they didn't take the four steps. And mm-hmm. so this moderation of even if this was just a really healthy, positive conversation and not four steps, but just one, we still made progress. The conversation was progress. She wouldn't have had this conversation anywhere else, or she may not have. And we, we were slow enough and thoughtful enough and intentional enough to say it's important for us to talk about your future and where you want to go and how we can help you do that with our network and resources. And so in the broad stroke of that, again, not knowing, knowing that we are not in control, knowing that Carol's Kitchen has a piece to play in each of these women's lives, but we are not the savior, but we're there to influence whatever positive thing we can influence in our life. So when you're dreaming about kind of the future of Carol's Kitchen, just rank speculation, rank dream building, right? Five years down the line or 10 years down the line, whether you've decided you're going to do something else or whether you're still the Mm -hmm. executive director, what is your, what is your hope for this, for this new baby nonprofit? You know, dreaming big. I think we have such an opportunity for supple people, for women wanting to make change in their life and who are ready for feedback. You know, so much of change, uh, if you're going to make a change in yourself, requires that you have enough bravery and courage to face what's true. And I think that's where Carol's Kitchen sits. We sit in this place where we go, you've just kind of come out of something hard. Are you ready to hear what's true so that you can move forward, you know, into the next great Mm -hmm. thing? And for Carol's Kitchen as an organization, we have been in a place of learning. What are we doing that's working? And how will we do it better tomorrow and the next year and the next year? So five years from now, we'll have, I hope, (laughs) a really nailed down kitchen program. So right now we have, I'd say we probably have 60% of what we would call a program, but high level, they come in, they learn a bunch of things, a bunch of kitchen skills and how to work with one another, time management, uh, obviously lots of things around culinary skills, but five years from now, that will be a, not only proficient, but a professional, um, award-winning program. I think we have the abilities and the chops for that. Uh, I would love to see our women able to be sous chefs and chefs and owners of restaurants in the future. I, I don't think mm-hmm. that that is far-fetched. I think that if we can learn what it is we need to teach and how we should teach them, that's where we're going. Um, And I think we will have a continue to have, I guess is really true, a a reputation for excellent food. Uh, We have a really good reputation in the Raleigh area for food. And I would be tickled to death if we were known for our food outside of Raleigh. Mm. If we could expand our footprint um, into other communities that have women coming out of crisis, because 
statistics say that they're everywhere. And if we could offer a hand to folks needing it to pull to pull folks out of uh, whatever their circumstances, we would love to be a part of that. Well, I love that. As our kind of final wrap up question, I would love to hear about something or someone that is inspiring you right now. Oh man, there's so many good things out there. <laughs> um, I I've been especially. I just finished reading Rising Strong by Brene Brown, and and such she's a good book. Have you read it? Oh yeah. It's so good. Love Brene. Um, so great. And, and, you know, for listeners out there, social scientists, she's looking to reshape the way we communicate with one another around courage and uh, vulnerability. And I just, uh, Rising Strong was particularly meaningful because that's what we're about, the bounce back. You know, we're about mm-hmm. helping folks as mm-hmm. they come back and we want them to rise strong. And so, but specifically, Brene, because she continues to remind me that telling the truth is strong. It's strength. Telling the truth, not just about, you know, the things you should tell the truth about, but even uh, in our, our own self-narratives, the narratives we tell ourselves about why we're worthy and valuable and worth coming back from whatever hard thing we face. I think that being able to say, I've been through some hard things, maybe because of some choices that I've made or just where I've come from. And I'm ready. I'm ready to kind of get a hold of myself and, and make another good step. Is so powerful. Mm. You know, statistics show that the narrative we tell ourselves is some is more powerful than the life we actually live. And so, if we can mm-hmm. change the narrative that we tell ourselves, that positive language around um, our, our life and our influence and our trajectory, I I really think we can change the world. And she just has such a, a poignant way of, of showing us the facts and the science around that. Well, that is awesome. Lindsay, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with me and to tell some of your story and to tell Carol's Kitchen's story. Uh, I really loved it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for the force you are uh, in our community and for Carol's Kitchen, just being a part of the kinds of, of conversations and meaningful things that I think we should be about as we change the fabric of our community. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you. That's it for this episode of The Longleaf Pod. You can find Carol's Kitchen at its original location on Martin and Wilmington in downtown Raleigh and at the new Morgan Street Food Hall. I'm aiming to share these conversations once a week and hope you'll join in next time. If you like this podcast, please share and subscribe. And if you have thoughts about the podcast or ideas about a person you think should be interviewed, you can find me on Twitter as at Kat Lawson. Thanks for listening.